turn to John chapter 15. Ed, maybe you could, can you pull it up? We're going to look at John chapter 15. I don't want to leave this. This is very important. Last week we talked about it, the, uh, that we are the, the branches and Jesus is the vine. And he said, if you remain in me and I'll remain in you, then you'll bear much fruit. In fact, it is a command to bear much fruit. And so we looked at that last week. I think this passage of Scripture here in John chapter 15 uh, is so important. So we want to linger here a little bit. And I'm really excited about being able to share with you what God has put on my heart about uh, this. We Actually, it will touch on some of the things we've been uh, learning on Wednesday night also uh, that, are, that I think are, are just tremendous in our walk with, with the Lord. And so we <clears throat> think about it a minute. As believers, we're called by God to be submissive and obedient to his will here. And sometimes you think, well, what commandment are you talking about? First of all, I want everyone here this morning to know that God does not encourage us to be obedient. God demands that we are obedient as his children here. It's a direct commandment of the Lord that we be obedient to his commandments. And think about it. And so we think sometimes as commandments as being something nebulous and something we really can't grasp. But obviously, God lays it out very, very clearly. And I'm going to lead up to something I think will really free us up in our walk with the Lord and our priorities in life here. We are to be obedient. And I want to talk to you here. First of all, when we look at John chapter 14, verse 21, here, it reveals to all believers that the only way that we can obviously reveal our love to God is to be obedient to his commands. Think about it when Jesus said, if you obey my commands, then you are my friends. I don't call you servants anymore. I want to call you friends. And we talked about it last week that Abraham was called a friend of God. We want to be friends with God in that. Not in some kind of a laissez-faire or lackadaisical because we a lackadaisical way, but because we revere the Lord. He's God Almighty. He's holy. He's awesome. He spoke and the world came into existence. But I'm talking about a close, intimate relationship. And the word of God certainly tells us here. And I believe there are three commands that Christ set forth that we must obey here. And think about it. Being obedient in all areas of our Christian walk. But here, obviously, obedience and submission go together. Total submission to the Lord. And uh, remember the total submission of Mary here when the angel of the Lord came and said, you'll bear the Messiah, the Son of God, and all that. Remember what Mary said in Luke chapter 1? She said, may it be unto me as you have spoken. And so as we look at this scripture, we look at verses 10 actually through 24. And <clears throat> I think it's so important, and I'll, I'll read that. If the world in verse 10, or actually... Um, uh, as the Father loved me, I also loved you. Remain in my love. And if you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Keeping his commandments. Even as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. I have spoken these things to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. I no longer call you servants. 
for a servant does not know what his master does. But I have called you friends, for everything that I have heard from the Father have I made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and that the Father may give you whatever you ask him in my name. This I command you that you love one another. It says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as, as its own. But because you're not of the world, since I chose you out of the world, the world therefore hates you. And therefore, the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my words, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know him who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not have sinned. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. And if I had not performed among them the works which no one else did, they would have no sin. But now have they seen and hated both me, my father, and me, but that the world word which is written in their might might be fulfilled. They hated me without a cause. And so we see what's happening here. And we talk about this today in regards to the, the submission and obedience are together. You cannot be obedient without submitting to the Lord, you know? And understand that because total submission, as we spoke of in Mary's life, when that angel, which he was probably awesome, the angel was awesome coming up to her, she said immediately, may it be unto me as you have spoken. She didn't somehow analyze it or debate it in her mind. She was swift to be obedient. But sometimes we feel as if God has spoken to us to do something and we begin to debate it with him. We begin to sort of just mull it over in our, in our minds. And before long, what happens is we talk ourselves out of it. God's spoken to us. And we're not really submitted to the Lord because we don't know where it's going to take us. And so what happens is, is actually there's a slippery slope and we're no longer obedient. And so we're not doing what God called us to do. And so we debate it. We analyze it. You know, is this really God and so forth? And I'm not saying that you don't obviously test the spirit and you need to put it before the Lord. But I'm talking about today is that immediately we need to obey what God had said. One, one man said this, Mary didn't demand a sign or some sort of proof or additional confirmation. She voiced no complaint at the total disruption of her life. She knew now that things would not turn out the way that she planned at all. However, in Mary's heart, there was no resistance, no rebellion, just a sweet, simple submission, surrender to the will of God. You see, her whole life would be turned upside down, would be completely different than what she had planned. And it's the same way with us. We sort of think that we know, obviously, what our plans for life is. And then if something happens and it seems like it's just turned topsy-turvy and turned upside down, 
And somehow or another, we hang on and so forth, and we miss what God is doing in our lives. Because remember, in a believer's life, nothing touches you or me without going through God's hand, first of all. That's one thing we have to remember. Nothing touches us. God has to allow it or else he orchestrates it, one or the other. He is God, and he's on his throne. And so often what happens is, is we obviously say, well, what does this mean? And where will this take us? Obviously, is he going to call me to go to the deepest parts of Africa and all these types of things and thoughts? The enemy will put in your mind. And before long, you've doubted that you've heard God and you're not submissive and then you're not obedient to what God's saying here. And we find here Mary in total submission to God. We find that she had a life that was happy and content and doing the will of God. So often we believe that we simply cannot be happy if we submit to God's call on our lives. But without submission, obedience cannot happen at all. It is because we simply cannot be obedient without a submissive spirit. There's a great missionary pioneer named Hudson Taylor, and he said this, the real secret of an unsatisfied life lies too often in an unsurrendered will. You want to be, obviously, unsatisfied in your life? Then just don't do the will of God. As a Christian, we are called to bear much fruit. And we talked about the little illustration last week about the boy that got on a plane, he was a young boy, and he needed assistance and so forth. The parents put the boy on the plane, and he was going from Houston to Los Angeles, but they had to stop in Dallas. And so when they got to Dallas, obviously he was to stay on the plane. He wasn't to disembark off the plane. He was to stay on the plane. And so the parents said, we have one instruction for you. Don't leave the plane, and you'll get to your destination in safety. It's the same way what God tells us. Remain in Jesus and we'll get to our destination safely. But yet so often what we believe that God's going to call us to do something that is just not going to be satisfactory with the way we perceive life. And that's obviously, again, you're not being submissive at that point. You're being disobedient. God calls us to be obedient. One lady said it like this, half-hearted obedience satisfies neither us nor God. It's just unhappy. You're not doing the will of God. I've talked about many times from this pulpit is that my desire is that to be at the center of God's will and everything he's doing. Do I always get it right? No, I don't. don't. Don't get me wrong. But that is my heartbeat, is to do the will of God, to be submissive to him, to be obedient to him. And this is the reason why I believe there are so many unfulfilled and malcontented Christians in our world today. They want the peace and joy that comes with salvation, but they refuse to submit and surrender their hearts as God requires. They want, obviously, the privileges without the responsibilities. They want all that good stuff. God blesses, doesn't he? He's blessed me. He's blessed you. He's done great things. No matter what you've gone through in life, he has blessed us and he is with us always. The Bible tells us here. But obviously, there's some of us who are willing to be obedient. But obviously, what happens is we put God off for a while. We debate whether or not we want to do what God's calling us to do. But actually, half-hearted obedience is not obedience at all. In fact, when you hesitate and you know God has called you to do something, whatever it is God's called you to do, and he will call you to do something. If you have an open heart, 
to do what God calls, calls you to do. He will call you to do something. And then we debate it. We obviously, how is it going to affect me financially? How will it affect me this way and that way? And I'll give you a good example. Tithing. Tithing is a good example. In Malachi chapter 3, it talks about, God says this. He says, you have, he said, the blessings had dried up there on the Israelites, on the, the Jewish people. And they were like, what's going on here? And God said, it's because you have robbed me. And so the people said, well, how have we robbed you? And he said, because you haven't tithed, basically. He said, basically, you're under a curse because you have not tithed. You have not given that to, to me. And so you have robbed me of that. He said, but let me tell you something is what God's saying in my vernacular. He's saying, he said, test me. He said, bring the tithe into the storehouse. And he says, I'll pour out blessings on your, in your barns that can't even, the barns can't even hold and all. But you've robbed me. And so therefore it's a curse. A lot of people say, let me get my finances straight before I tithe. I want to say it right now. You'll never get your finances straight until you tithe. The tithe is obviously a command to do that. And why so many people have not been blessed in that way, and I'm not talking about in anything that obviously is anti-biblical, but I want to tell you today, I've seen God bless Cindy and I over and over and over again as we've tithed. And I'm not doing it legalistically. You see, God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need your time. He doesn't need your talents. But it's an act of faith of whether or not you're going to trust Him. You bring your first fruits to Him right to begin with. And you bring your tithes. You bring your best to God. Remember what happened to Abel and Cain. Abel brought his best to God. And then remember his brother, uh, obviously, held back there and, and did not. And uh, obviously Cain got jealous and killed his brother there. But we are to give God our best. And we're to give God our tithe. Bring it into the storehouse. And I want to tell you, you want to be blessed. You watch what happens. There's something that happens when you step out in faith. Because faith moves the heart of God. It's just a principle God uses. But we can either abide by it or we won't. We want to be obedient or else we want to rob God. We do what we choose to do, let me tell you. I want to tell you, total submission to Christ is reflected in our immediate obedience also. When we hesitate, we begin to obey, debate. We begin to, to sort of like just struggle with this and that and so forth. Before long, again, we've talked ourselves out of it. We can talk ourselves out of, out of step walking by faith better than anybody I know today. And the Western church is that way. God is saying today, we need to return to him. Mark Twain said this. He said, there was once a wealthy businessman who was well known for being ruthless and unethical. And he told Mark Twain that before he died, he wanted to make a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And he said that when he got there, he wanted to climb to the top of Mount Sinai where Moses received the Ten Commandments and there read the Ten Commandments aloud at the top of the mountain. Mark Twain said this. He says, I have a better idea. You can stay in Boston and keep them. Why do we need to do this? You see, sometimes we look for the spectacular when just the basics of obedience, just the routine things of life that God calls you and I to, obviously are things that we should do. You remember there when Samuel was being called as a prophet? And he heard the voice of God. He didn't know it at the time when he first started hearing and all. And he kept going in to Eli in 1 Samuel chapter 3. 
And Eli finally on the third time says, go back. It's God speaking to you. Remember what Samuel said? This is my prayer and this should be our prayer. Lord, speak because your servant is listening. Our hearts should be open and ready to obey immediately there. But yet so often we want to wait and we want to analyze and sort of like formulate. We need to do what God's called us to do. He's looking for people to do that. So in our relationship, you're talking about what commandments am I talking about? In verse 21 of chapter 14, it says this, the one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. If you love God, you've got to obey him. And Jesus refers to here in John here and in the book of Matthew chapter 22 when he said to him, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment here. It tells us that the first commandment we must to be obedient is to love God with all of our heart, our soul, and our mind. He said one priority in our lives here with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. What is he saying? He's saying to love God with every fiber of our being. These are the commandments that I'm talking about. If you're going to obey and be submissive, then love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your mind. I want to tell you here, the first duty as a believer, your first priority as a Christian is to love God. And how do we love God? We love God by being submissive to Him and being obedient to Him and His will. That means we need to get in His Word. That means we need to have fellowship one with another. We need to learn from the Word of God. And what does God expect from us? Is loving Him as priority. But how does that work in our individual lives? It works as we commune with Him, as we get into His Word. We find out where His heart is. What is His heart about? And then we get in on what He's doing in the earth today. You and I are called to serve Him, to love Him and to serve Him, to get out of our comfort zones. These things are not options. They are commandments. God calls us to do that here. So we love him by being obedient and by being submissive to him. When God calls you to do something for him and you surrender to do so, then this is loving God with all of your heart, your soul, and your mind. When you do something and you know God's called you to do it, this is loving God. This is loving Jesus. He says, I'm your friend if you do what I, what I command you to do. But it must be, obviously, imprinted on our hearts that we do what God tells us to do. Not what we want to do, but what God wants us to do here. And but so when we, God calls us to do something for him and you procrastinate and you argue with God and you doubt what God is saying and you lack, your lack of obedience amounts to disobedience to God's call and you're not loving God with all of your heart when that takes place. Some of you may have been called to do something in this church. Certainly, even over the past. And, and maybe we, did, we said, there's no way I can do it. But when you procrastinate and when you don't do immediately what God has called you to do, it is actually disobedience. I want to emphasize that. And you're not loving God with all of your heart and your soul and your mind there. 
Second commandment, to love one another when it talks about it. In verse 12 of John 15, this is my command, love one another as I have loved you. And here we find Jesus repeating a commandment. He said, there, I give you a new commandment, love one another just as I've loved you. You must also love one another. And by this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love for one another here. And then in Matthew 22, again, he says that the second commandment, the greatest, is love your neighbor as yourself. You know, I've told you all about some of my, some of my struggles with my, the neighbor, okay? Remember, I've told you all about it on several occasions. And obviously, I've sort of like stood up here kind of completely open and transparent before you because there's a struggle that goes on because a lot of people are not lovable. A lot of people, obviously, is like, no way I can love that person. There's no way, Jim, come on. There are certain people that I get along with, and I think I can love them. But those who somehow are just different than you are and me and, and all, and I, I, what are you saying here? Well, it's a commandment. It's not an option. He says, how will the world know that you're my disciples unless you love one another? There's no way. Love trumps it all. I have all the gifts of the Spirit in 1 Corinthians 13, and it says they're like clanging cymbals if I don't have love. It trumps everything. And so loving one another, people will, will obviously see that. And so often we hold grudges and we refuse to forgive and we treat others with contempt. As believers, we can never fall prey to the belief that we have the right to stay mad or hold something over someone else's head. And I know we get angry at times. He says, don't, in your, in your anger, don't, don't sin. There's a difference there. Sometimes we do. But we don't stay in that place because when you stay in that place, the Bible says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and let, obviously, a foothold of bitterness get in your heart. When you continue to harbor that grudge, and let me tell you, a lot of people have grudges today. A lot of people have hatred in their hearts today. I saw many of them in hospice, and they were dying. I tried to work with them for reconciliation to take place before they died, but some of them didn't. Said, I'll never speak to them again. And when somebody is obviously on their deathbed and all that, the family is grieving, and all these things flare up. And I try to say, you know what? you got to let that go. And some of them would, and they would work through it, but some of them would not let it go. And they held those grudges, and a root of bitterness got in their heart there. Getting mad is one thing. Being angry is not a sin necessarily, but staying angry with our brothers here. It builds walls of separation and division within the body of believers, and we're guilty of sinning not just against that person, but against God himself. I want to tell you, how do I apply this teaching in my life here? Well, you love somebody in spite of the difficulty and the struggles. You love people because obviously they are different. and It means that your love for God is evident in the way you live your life here. You love them and you love the lost. You love those people out there. Don't look like us. Don't talk like us. Don't smell like us. Don't act like us. Don't have personalities like us unfamiliar to us. They're just completely different. You love those people that get under your skin. You love those people that are irritable and just not good, necessarily most comfortable to be around. You love those people because it's a commandment. 
The first is loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But the second is loving your neighbor as yourself. We're commanded by God to love Him and to love others there. These commandments are that we love God and love people here. But there's a third commandment here. Listen to this. We're commanded to persevere in this evil generation. When we look at verses 18 through 24, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would would love you as its own. However, because you're not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. And so we are obviously, we face these things. Think about it a minute. You think, well, somehow, if we love one another and we do this correctly and, and, and God really uses us in that particular manner, we think somehow that's going to draw people to us. But they won't. Not necessarily, not to begin with anyway. Not to begin with necessarily. Because when Christians take a stand for God and reveal the love of God, the world hates us for it. And let me give you a good example here. In the case of abortion. The world believes abortion to be a woman's rights issue, plain and simple here. However, when the church reveals that God loves that little embryo and considers it to be a living, breathing human being and that ending the pregnancy is murdering one of God's creation, the world reacts by saying things like, well, Christians treat women like second-class citizens because they don't believe that they should have the choice to do with their bodies as they see fit. Y'all have heard the argument before. You stand up for it. You begin to just stand up for truth. And these things come down. The second is homosexuality here. When the church reveals its love of God and that God created humanity with a purpose and with an order of things, the world hates, spouts that we hate homosexuals and just don't want to see them happy. They hate us because we stand for the sexual purity of God's word, obviously. So they hate us. We stand up for truth. They hate us. And that persecution is even here in the United States. And we see that persecution, in my opinion, getting worse and worse. When we reveal to the world that the love of God, what the love of God is shown in the person of Jesus Christ, that he came and he died for their sins, they say things like, how dare you judge me and call me a sinner? We're called by God to persevere in an evil and per perverse generation. Now, it may seem like, obviously, I've painted a, a, a bleak, no-win situation. But actually, as we stand for truth, and you don't get wishy-washy about your faith and about your convictions and about what the Word of God says, eventually, I believe, they may get mad. And you know how when people who don't know the Lord, you confront them maybe just in their life and not saying anything to them, but they see you and they think that you're a goody-two-shoes and you continue to stand for truth and walk the walk, then eventually they begin to question, what is the difference in your life? What is that all about? And I want to know something about it. A lot of people will turn away, but there'll be some whose heart will be softened and will receive what you give unto them. I want to tell you, we've got to stand for truth. And I want to tell you a good way of standing for truth, and I'm going to say it. And that is that we need to get out and vote. We need to vote. And we need to vote, obviously, according to the Word of God. Look at the people's lives and look what they stand for. And then you need to cast your ballot. You need to get out and vote. Amen. Period. Pray about it. God will lead you when you go in there to pull the lever. God will lead you here. We're called to be witnesses and to share Christ and His teachings with the world around us here. 
We're called to bring souls to the foot of the cross so they may know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. But the human heart's prideful and arrogant. And when God's Holy Spirit convicts them, reveals sin in their heart, obviously, you know, their first response is to rebel and turn away. But eventually, the love of Jesus, I, will, I believe, will break through as we persevere. But you can't compromise. If they see your life of compromise, if you, they see you're not loving God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and you're not loving your neighbors yourself, then they're saying, he's the same as I am. What do I need to change? The conviction is standing upon the Word of God and not wavering. I believe that we've come to the point in this world that our love is not necessarily true, that our love is not being revealed as it should be. The church has become cynical of the world and we have all but shut out the world and we've all but written the world off for dead. We kind of walked away and we said there's no hope and that's not true. There is hope. God's not told me to stop praying for revival. God's not told me to stop praying and witnessing to whoever He sends my way. God's not told me to stop preaching the gospel that, is, that has no more effect upon that. And until God does, I'm going to continue to stand for truth. And God speaks this. I want to tell you here, Something that we learned Wednesday night, I believe, is very important. When God, Jesus said, the first great commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. When he says that, he says basically, you know, that is our primary purpose for living, to follow that commandment. Many of us want to do things for God, and that's great. And that could be a sign, uh, uh, actually a, a term used as other pastors use, our assignment. But if you have and you purpose in your heart and you contend for this commandment being priority in your life, and I do also, let me tell you, your assignment for God will take place, will fall into place. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Love Him in that. Say, Lord, I purpose in my heart to love you with all of my heart, mind, soul, and strength. I purpose, I, I, that's my one desire. David said it in Psalm 27, 4. He said, the one thing I ask, the one thing I seek, that I may dwell in your temple all the days of my life, to, to gaze upon your beauty and to seek you in your temple. David said, the one thing in my life is to love you with all my heart, all my mind, my strength, and soul. That should be our priority also. And we got to love other people also, right? There was once a family eating in a restaurant. And the mother tells of what happened to them that day. She said this, We were the only family with children in the restaurant. I sat Eric in a high chair and noticed everyone was quietly eating and talking. And suddenly, Eric squealed with glee and said, Hi there. And our son was excited about seeing a man with a tattered rag of a coat and who was all dirty and greasy and worn. And Eric wiggled and giggled with a joy at this man whose pants were baggy with a zipper at half-mast and his toes poked out of would-be shoes. This man's shirt was dirty, his hair was uncombed and unwashed, and his whiskers were not quite a beard, and the varicose veins charted a complex map across his nose and face. We were too far to smelling, but I'm sure he smelled. 
His hands waved at my baby, and he said, Hi there, baby. Hi there, big boy. I see you, Buster, the man said to Eric. And my husband and I didn't know what to do, and Eric continued to laugh and answer, Hi, hi there. Our meal finally came, and the drunken geezer began shouting across the room, Do you know patty cakes? Do you know peekaboo? Hey, look, he he knows peekaboo. No one thought the old man was cute. My husband and I were embarrassed, and Eric, on the other hand, was running through his repertoire of tricks, all of which were admired by the bums. We finally got through the meal, and my husband went to pay, and Eric and I headed for the door. The old man was poised between me and the door, and I uttered a prayer, Lord, just get me out of here before he speaks to me, or Eric. As I drew close to the man, I turned my back trying to sidestep him and avoid any air he might be breathing. As I did, Eric leaned over my arm, reaching with both arms in a baby's pick-me-up position. Before I could stop him, Eric had propelled himself from my arms into the man's arms. Eric, in an act of total trust, love, and submission, laid his tiny head upon the man's ragged shoulder. The man's eyes closed, and I saw tears hover beneath his lashes. His aged hands, full of grime, pain, and hard labor gently, so gently, cradled my, bo- my baby's bottom and stroked his back. The old man rocked and cradled Eric in his arms for a moment, and then his eyes opened and sat squarely on mine, and he said in a firm, commanding voice, you take care of this baby. And somehow I managed, I will, from a throat that contained a stone. I received my baby, and the man said, God bless you, ma'am. You've given me my blessing. I ran to the car and my husband wondered why I was crying and saying, my God, my God, forgive me. That ragged, dirty, smelly old man unwittingly had reminded me to enter the kingdom of God. We must become as little children. You see, what we're in today are a lot of people who are dirty. Dirty with sin. They don't live like we do. They don't act like we do. Certainly, they're not church folk. They don't look that way at all. And they're tattered, you see, because sin has done a number on them. And we see them every day. Somehow, my prayer is, is that we see these who are lost, who are without Jesus in their lives, that we'll see them as Jesus sees them. And you see, that's why God says, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength, with the totality of your being, and to love your neighbor as yourself. You see what's happening? We've got a lot of religious things that we've been doing, and and a lot of things good, nothing wrong, but God is calling us back to some of the basics that we know are so important in our lives because people around us, they're dirty. They're sinful. They don't use language like, like I do. They're not, they're not as polished as we are. They don't act like us. They just act weird, don't they? And you see, God is calling us to come back to that childlikeness, just like that little Eric who will see people. You see, Babies, they don't have any prejudices. They don't have any biases. 
They just love people. Don't you know when children have? You can put, obviously, just different people in the same classroom and children. They don't see anything. They don't see color. They don't see, obviously, the differences there at all. They just love. And in that night, God reminds us that we have got to love people because it's a command. So I'm saying, Lord, come on, work on me. Work on me. It's because I don't want to walk past somebody that God presents to me. And because I don't think that maybe they look like or talk like or smell like I thought they would. Maybe in one way or another, God is testing to see, well, I love them. It's like that little boy loved that, that stranger, complete stranger. There are people that are hurting today in our world because they don't know Christ. They've never surrendered. <clears throat> There may be in this group today, some of you, maybe somebody that said, Lord, I believe I heard you way back then. Speak to my heart about doing this for you. And I somehow sort of analyzed it, debated it, procrastinated, and now it's way in the past. You see, I believe God wants us to revisit those times to bring that and be obedient and submissive. The times are crucial. You can see them today. They're seeing people today and there's a chasm that's, that's being built there. Uh, I believe that people are going one way or the other. And you and I need to be prepared because I believe that God is preparing the bride. I believe that, that Jesus is preparing his bride. Now, I don't know when Jesus will come back. Not claiming to. But I believe there's a preparation that's taking place right now. And God is looking at me. He's looking at you. He's looking at this church about what my priorities are. And maybe you feel the same. I pray that God would set our priorities in place. Because I, it's so freeing to know when I love the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength is that other things will come into place according to His perfect will. But I got to get that right. And so I encourage you. Pray about it. Seek the Lord. Seek Him. Know Him. David said, one thing I ask, this is what I seek. To dwell with Him all the days of my life. To gaze upon His beauty. And to seek Him in His temple. There's one thing David knew. And he was a man after God's own heart. We were talking about here. I want to be a man after God's own heart. And I believe you want to be people after God's own heart. I want this church to be a church after God's own heart. If I've got that right, then the rest of it, I believe, will fall into place. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time, and thank you for what you're doing here, Lord. We just ask that you seal upon the hearts of all of us, Lord, what you're speaking in this day and this time, and that is the Word of God. Help us Lord, to put the priorities in place, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Lord, we want to be your friends. We want to be submissive, and we want to be obedient. Help us, oh God. Give us grace. Move in this church, oh God. Send revival in each life. Awaken us to your presence. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.